Everybody to Bolt from the Blue, season number two, episode number 19, as has been a norm for, I don't know, 50 or 60 pods now. We've got our two normal members. First of all, Colin Savage. How are you doing, Colin? Doing all right, thank you. Watching some football tonight, as I did. I've been watching some football all day, actually. Well, we're going to talk about that. And uh, we also have with us none other than the producer of City Fan TV. And this is Ray. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you, Mike. Whenever City win usually makes for a decent weekend. Question for you, actually, Ray. There was a time when um, various people were, were wondering about whether the City Fan TV YouTube channel would reach a 1,000 subscribers. Well, we're up to about 1,070. I, I, you know, I'm a honest, uh, usually an honest guy. Uh, <laughs> don't do myself any favours there, but it's, uh, it's slowed down a bit, but it's, it's what you'd expect. It's a, a good start. It was new. It was a little bit different uh, for new people, a little bit same for the people who knew me. You'd expect a little bit of a lull. As When City are winning com- quite comfortably, uh, you don't get many fans from uh, uh, opposition uh, teams um, to, to say much. And um, so it's a little bit um, slower than it has been in the past. Another question, Ray, about you've put up videos on your site, and these are Manchester City. Who on earth does them for you? They're fantastic. Uh, that's done by Colin. Uh, not this, uh, not this Colin. I got a shock there, yeah, yeah. Uh, Colin, uh, he does a lot of, uh, background work on, on, on the sites, uh, on, on, on the channel. He's, uh, my moderator when we're on uh, live streams. And, uh, yeah, he puts a tremendous amount of time, uh, to do these videos. I believe they take, uh, the last one took four days to make. So, uh, there's a lot of hard work and love and effort. Um, put into these videos by Col, and uh, yeah, it's from a family of a big, big family of blues. Uh, go back a long, long way. He loves putting these videos together, and I think some of them, especially the recent ones, they bring back good memories as well. Guys, we're going to just do this uh, to make it a bit different. We're going to go the other way round. We'll talk about City against Aston Villa a little bit later on, but Colin. Spurs against uh, Liverpool, you just can't rely on Spurs to help you out. It's, it's at Anfield, penalties, and it's just Tottenham. You, you can't rely on them to do you a favour, can you? Tottenham have bottled more than Coca-Cola and Pepsi combined. <laughs> Arsenal are running them close at the moment. North London became the world's biggest bottling plant <laughs> this afternoon, I think. Uh, to be fair to Liverpool, it was a penalty. It was definitely a penalty. The way Spurs kind of just they hit the bar twice, but again, it was a completely unnecessary tackle by Aurier of what he's doing, playing for a side which appeared in the Champions League final. Uh, I'm not quite sure, but um, we all said it, didn't we? They went, they went ahead in the first minute. It's too early. Uh, to be fair, they held Liverpool to the first half. And then they just seemed to... Uh, I've always said Liverpool don't like having possession. But Spurs didn't defend particularly well. Uh, and you could just see what was coming. And um, it came. Uh, and they hit the bar twice. So Son, who, who if that had been us, he'd have scored twice. Because it's Liverpool, of course, they hit the bar twice. I still think Chelsea will finish in the top four. I mean, I mean, obviously, looking at, was it they won seven or eight games on the bounce in various different competitions. We'll really find out a bit more about Frank if they lose three on the bounce, uh, something like that, which I think it can happen. You know, they've got a mix of youth and experience, and sometimes that youth might not give you the games you want. I mean, we've still got a lot more to learn about Frank, but he's acquitting himself well. I thought at Derby he did all right. Um, and I thought this season would be... A transitional season for Chelsea, obviously not being able to to go out and buy players. Um, but as I said at the start of the season, I thought they'd finish fourth. I thought they had enough good players. They had players to come back. You know, they've got a lot of young players around the ages of 21: Pulisic, Hudson Odoi, Ruben Loftus Cheek to come back. It's a mount. It's half, half a dozen of them, and they all look pretty decent. And you mix that with some of your more experienced players like uh, William. And, and Kansi uh, and Jorginho. So it's the makings of a, a good combination. And obviously, uh, with the transfer embargo, or the, the ban that they suffered at the moment, I wouldn't call it a siege mentality, but it's probably brought that group of players closer together. It's given some of the younger players an opportunity to, to shine rather than go out and buy an expensive 
new striker, they brought put Tammy in and he's, he's done pretty well for himself so far. So, yeah, I think they're going to be up there for the for the rest of the season. I don't think they're going to challenge uh, City uh, or Liverpool. And I think Frank's going to... I don't think he's going to... And some people are already talking about him for England and saying he's put himself in the shot window. Look, guys, he's he's... He's, he's been a manager for about 15 months. He's got a long way to go. And I don't think, even if he had a, a, a good couple of three seasons at Chelsea, he'd want to move on to England. I mean, I think Chelsea's where he's going to stay as long as he possibly can. Colin, um, you've obviously uh, seen Leicester City's 9-0 demolition of Southampton. It's quite interesting for us. What did you make of that? That was an extraordinary scoreline. What did you think about it? Uh, well, I was out on Friday night. Otherwise, I probably would have watched it and um, got home and saw record score, joint record score. I thought, well, Southampton haven't scored nine against Leicester. Of course, Ryan Bertrand was sent off early on. Southampton just seemed to fall to pieces. I don't know. Um, Yeah, but Leicester are going to be, if they carry on like this, are going to be a top four team this season, aren't they? They're going to finish in the top four again, if not win the the title. Colin, just a little pop quiz question, because I know that you're interested in numbers. And I'm looking at the league table, and I'm looking at the goals against Colin. And, of course, there's only one other team that has conceded. That's Sheffield United, yeah. That's that's very interesting, isn't it? Yeah, it's... Is. Now, say when I did my pre-season preview for King of the Kipaks, I predicted Sheffield United to stay up. I thought, I must be mad doing that, but it looks like a good prediction so far. I mean, they're not scoring many, but and often they are to staying up in the Premier League for teams like Sheffield United and Norwich is not to concede that many, because they're, they're probably not going to score that many, but if they don't concede, that can be the difference between staying up and not staying up. Now, I, I don't think they're going to finish top half. They've got a goal difference of one, 10 games in, so we're just over a quarter of the way through the season, and um, Sheffield United are in the top half of the table on, on goal difference, and that can have a huge impact. And you look, where I think Norwich, they conceded the most goals of any team that's been promoted from the championship that's automatically. Right. Yeah, Norwich, you knew, unless they timed up defensively, you knew Norwich were going to struggle. They even conceded three goals to United. Let's get on to the main business, guys. Ever since a slightly embarrassing uh, 2-0 reverse to Wolves, we've done quite well. Uh, uh, the main focus of this particular podcast, we're very lucky to have uh, a guy called Gundogan. He's come in for so much flat. And it was I, I think it was this game, guys, that I really saw for the first time. Gundogan, that is very, very underrated. He really lose the ball and the passes that he sort of delivered very well. Were you impressed with Gundogan in this game, Ray? Absolutely. I mean, I've always been a, a fan of Gundogan. The only time I'm not a fan, I think you're well aware, is when he plays with David Silva in front of Fernandinho or Rodri. Then I'm not a fan. I think he's too far forward and he hasn't got the legs to do what we need him to do. When he plays uh, at the base of that, let's say that triangle, midfield triangle, when he plays that holding stroke defensive midfielder role, I think he plays that well. You've got two more, usually more, two attacking midfielders who've got a little bit more in their legs, especially with uh, De Bruyne and David Silva, who can pick anybody's pocket and, and he can find, he, David Silva can play in these really tight uh, spaces. So that's why I prefer them as my attacking midfielders. Well, having Gundogan behind them, and he's just a, he's a dream. He gets the ball. He, he can he can do those easy simple passes, but he can also make those incisive passes. And we saw quite a few times him working on the left with David Silva, with Raheem Sterling, and with Mendy. And normally, the way I would look at uh, games, uh, I would expect three on the left, three on the right working together. That would be your attacking midfielder, your winger, and your fullback. But when Gundogan gets in as well, sometimes he can teams can almost just about manage to handle your three players. But when he got involved as well, Aston Villa had no chance. And with the movement provided by Silva and Sterling, uh, with Mendy sticking out wide and Gundogan just inside them, they were always on to. It, it was a tough. It was a tough task, especially in that second half. It was a tough, tough task for Villa to do anything. And Gundogan plays his uh, you know position so well. He's got a decent shot on him. He'll get three or four goals a season if he plays enough games. And yeah, I think for for a lot of City fans. He was their man of the match. Colin Savage, that first half was very, very frustrating, as we know. It was basically a large and physical offensive line. But just a few seconds after the, the restart, the, the question is, who gets the credit for this, Colin? Was it Sterling or was it Ederson? 
Uh, I mean, Gabriel Jesus, I think, because uh, the goal came from a what sixty yard clearance from Ederson and Gabriel Jesus. And I've made this point before. If, if Sergio Aguero had been playing, we probably wouldn't have scored that goal, or, or not in the way that we did score it. Because Gabriel Jesus, he fights for that ball. He won the header against Tyrone Mings, who's a lot taller than him. He played a great game, Mings, didn't he? He's very good, yeah, yeah. Reasonably impressed with him. I mean, quite impressed to, to, to a certain degree with Villa, Villa as a whole. Very well organised, very fit, uh, worked very hard. That's interesting that, that, that you're giving the credit for that one to Tabby J rather than uh, Ederson or, or, or Raheem. Well, well, I say we don't get that. Sterling doesn't get the ball if Aguero's there because whatever else Aguero is, he wouldn't necessarily... I don't think he'd be... He'd, he's as capable of winning that ball as Gabby J was. So he did... Re- and he had a quiet game, I think, Gabby J. I don't think he had the greatest game he's ever had. But he won that ball, played it, got it to Sterling in the same way that he... Again, it's that third goal in the cup final in the FA Cup final when he played it to Kevin De Bruyne after tussling for it just inside our half. And, and Sterling just finished the job. I mean, he had the field to himself, slotted the ball through um, uh, the keeper's, uh, Tom Heaton's legs. And, and Tom Heaton was, was was close to the ground as well. So he did really well to get that ball in. I'm going to wind Ray up a little bit here because once again, Ray, in the news, uh, I've been reading reports that City have been sticking a 100 million price tag Gabriel Jesus from the interests of Bayern Munich. So it, it, they've now actually moved on slightly from trying to tap up Leroy Sané to Jesus. I don't know if you've seen the reports, Ray, but that's been that's that's been covered by a number of outlets. Um, this was a few weeks ago. It sounds like the kind of story that Duncan Castles would um, have an exclusive on, doesn't it? Uh, pretty much made up. Uh, un- unbelievable. For one thing, I don't think Gabby Jesus is worth anywhere near £100 million. For me, anyway, it's just a made-up story. The, uh, the reporter at the, at the time, a few weeks back, said to Gabby, go and ask your agent. Uh, I mean, I don't know where this has come from. It could just, it could, it could be the agent just putting feelers out there because agents are going to get their, their money when their players move. You know, if Gabby Jesus wants to move, for, for argument's sake, for £100 million, I'm sure the agent would be asking for 10 or £15 million himself, like Mina Royola would do. So agents get their big paydays when the, when their uh, players move. But I don't think there's anything in that story whatsoever. Colin Savage, just to move on uh, swiftly, there was an extraordinary controversy about uh, the next goal. Uh, David Silva being given the goal. Everyone at the time thought that it was Kevin. And people talking about, well, if Silva had actually touched it, it would have been offside. How did you read that one? Well, watching it, obviously, in real time at the ground, saw Kevin De Bruyne play the ball in. And where I am, I'm down the other end. So I don't get a very good perspective on stuff that's going on down the north stand end where that incident was. So the ball went in, you expect a VAR check, but it seems to be on and on and on. And we're thinking, well, the only thing he could have been looking at was a very tight offside. Question was, who could have been? It looked as though, we were talking about this, it looked as though it had gone straight in from Kevin De Bruyne. So the question is, could anyone have been offside or, or did someone get a touch on the way in? So that was the, the, the general consensus. That it seemed that David Silva was protesting to the referee that he had got a touch on it, which was not exactly the right thing to do. Well, well, that, well that's because I think, having looked at it on Match of the Day last night, I think that there's a good case for saying Raheem Sterling would have been offside if David Silva had got a cane one. Remember where Harry Kane swore on the life of his daughter, he got a touch. And it didn't look like he got a touch at all, to be honest. But, you know, Harry was going to have that, get that goal. Now, now, you know, David Silva is not desperate for goals, I wouldn't have thought. But if you remember up at Newcastle, a goal that was disallowed against us uh, up at Newcastle, Czech Teote was a deemed, deemed to be offside and interfering with play. He had the shot, didn't he? He had the shot. Uh, oh, there, there was another player. Uh, yeah, it was Czech, Czech Teote was involved. The point I made at that time was he had to move to get out of the way of the ball. People were saying, well, he wasn't active. He wasn't impeding Joe Hart. Now, my view was if he had to move to get out of the way of the ball, then he was active. If he doesn't move and that ball hits him, then he's in play, effectively. Do you understand the point I'm making? If he has to move, he's got to be active. So I, so my, my view was, all right, it's maybe not the strict interpretation, but yeah, he had to move to get out of the way of that ball. And therefore, if he stands there and the ball hits him, he's active, he's interfering. And it was a little bit the same with Sterling. Sterling had to move out of the way to let that ball in. 
Now, I don't think it was particularly impeding for the keeper. But for me, my, my kind of layman interpretation is that if he had to move to get out of the way, then he was active. And uh, if Silva did touch it, then he was probably offside. But you've got to give the benefit of the doubt. It didn't look like Silva touched it. But, or, if, you know, he got the faintest possible, you know, a molecule of his boots brushed a molecule of the of the football on its way through in its furthest orbit around the atom or, you know, whatever. It, it's a very difficult one. We could uh, argue it till the, the cows come home, I think. But Very interesting, Colin, because you had that dubious goals committee after the fact. And, and it seems that there's no relationship in them and the VAR guys. It's, it's like there's no relationship between one and the other. It's almost like uh, they, they were determined to prolong the controversy. Gundogan's goal. Ray, I wonder if I'm the only one. Do you remember this wonderful semi-bicycle kick by Paolo Tanio for West Ham? When, when Gundogan did the same thing, it wasn't quite as spectacular. But did, did that cast that up in your memory? No. <laughs> I'll be quite honest. I think Paolo Tanio's was a was a lot better. I think the angle was was more difficult. I just think the volley was a much, much more difficult volley to do. Oh, but yes. I mean, the, the Canyon one was incredibly athletic. Look, Gundogan's was still uh, quite a decent um, uh, finish because when you in your body a little bit like that, you know, it was a good a good finish. I mean, I'll t- talk us through it a little bit. I mean, there was a, a corner came in from the right-hand side and I think, was it Fernandinho came in to the, towards the near post? It was still about you know, 10 yards out. And I think he got there just before uh, a couple of uh, Villa defenders. And um, he just nudged the ball, let's call it, round the corner. He came into a very, very acute angle, probably about three or four yards uh, from uh, the touchline. Uh, but it's quite wide out, quite well outside the, the six-yard area. And he just absolutely slammed the ball at the goal. And I think there was a little touch in there. I think Bernardo Silva tried to knock it back in or knock it towards goal. It came really fast. So you've got about, I think, four Newcastle players, three City players in the in the six-yard area. So it's a, a little bit of what looks like a melee. And the ball comes out. Gundogan is on the edge of the box and he runs onto it. And the ball's probably around 12 yards uh, away from, from the goal. And he, he, he prances like a horse. Oh, he enjoyed it. His, his left knee was well up in the air very early on. And then he just did that bicycle scissors kick without going overhead. But he just swapped the legs and he hit it with his right. And it looked like he had a little bit of fade on it as well. It was a beautiful goal, really. It was a nice connection. And Ilke Gundogan really, really enjoyed that goal. I believe um, he had some uh, a lot of family and friends at that game too. And I think they enjoyed it. They, I think there's a, a, quite a few whoops of delight uh, when, when he scored that goal. And I think he deserved it. I think he probably did put in a man-of-the-match uh, performance and he capped it off with, uh, with a fabulously well-taken goal. Uh, I'm really pleased for him. Well, there were whoops of delight coming from this particular event in South Korea. Colin Savage, something that I found quite amusing is that, uh, obviously, as you know, in the 87th minute, Werner got his second uh, yellow and was uh, dismissed. And uh, what was quite interesting is there was a whole host of the supporters who reckoned that Werner had done that deliberately so that he would be free for the Liverpool game. Now, I'm not exactly sure how the, the totting up of uh, arts works, but that didn't make any sense because he would have been able to play anyway. They were all up in arms that Fernandinho had done a, a Ronaldo or a Sergio Ramos and got himself deliberately bent off. Did, what did you make of that? It was a very, very, very soft second yellow card, very similar to Phil Foden's on Tuesday night, of course. The, the rule appears to be he misses the next domestic game because it was two yellows. He only misses one game, and he misses the next dom- domestic game, which, of course, is the um, Carabao Cup game on Tuesday night against Southampton, which, which he probably, probably wouldn't have played in anyway. But I, I think I, I, if, if, if Fernandinho was trying to deliberately get himself sent off, he'd have done a lot more than put a hand on whoever it was his shoulder. Look, I've, I've got to be honest here. I mean, some of these Liverpool, Liverpool fans, they're pretty thick, aren't they? I mean, <laughs> you know... You don't, no, no, no. It is, it is, but it's, it's one of the, the issues you have with social media. People come on and say stuff that they don't know the, what the rules are. They've not done any research. And some people just come out and, and guess. And we had that, I actually had that at the stadium where a couple of chaps in front of me who said, Oh no, he's going to miss a Liverpool game. You know, head in hands kind of thing. And you're trying to explain to them that actually he misses, that's it. He misses the next game. 
And even if it wasn't, and it's only one game, and it, it does amuse me sometimes how little some football fans know. I'm just, and this is a City fan, so I'm not just having a pop at those deluded um, scallywags from, from Merseyside. But it, it amuses me that fans have so little idea of the rules. You know, a red card. He actually thought a red card meant a three-game ban, and he'd missed the Liverpool game, where I might as well explain a little bit. Two yellow cards basically generally means a one-game ban. A red card, you usually get either a one-game ban for a red card, which is accumulation of two yellows. Um, you can get a two-game ban for a red card. You can get a three-game ban for a red card, which is violent conduct, and a six-game ban for a red card for spitting. But whatever happened, he was going to miss... He, he, he would have been free for the Liverpool game, even if it wasn't the next game, even if we didn't have that Carabao Cup game. We had that league game against Southampton coming up next weekend, so I don't know where... You know where people think they're coming from, just to put unresearched information rubbish out there. You know, at least I before I, I like to think generally before I put rubbish out there, I've done a little bit of research and to actually have have some idea of the rules. If I if I misinterpret the rules, that's something different. But at least I've put a little bit of effort in to have a look. I think we're going to need Fernandinho for the Liverpool game rather than Southampton. I just wish we had Leroy Sani for it because he is the Anfield killer. He's not going to be. Available for that, but um, at Colin Savage, we've got two games coming up. Southampton, as you know, were drilled 9-0 by Leicester. Do you print the riot? Because if they can beat them 9-0, we should be able to do better than that, shouldn't we, really? <laughs> well, I don't think we'll put a particularly strong side out in the Carabao Cup, but of course, the danger of playing a side that's just been absolutely walloped is that they, they kind of regroup and are determined it's kind of the opposite of the Wolves effect, isn't it? Well, Wolves came and beat us, and then they've not only won a game since. So I'm now nervous because I think Southampton are going to come fired up. They've got something to prove. And uh... <laughs> No, I, I don't think it's going to be like that, no. Watching the people get leery, it's not very pretty. I tell thee, walking through town is quite scary. It's not very sensible either. Well, you, we can go on through the, the song of the Kaiser Chiefs. Uh, and I think the Kaiser Chiefs should uh, give a little bit of um, <clears throat> uh, copyright or whatever the money is what, uh, to you for uh, to vote from the blue for including them in the podcast. Well, I'm thinking that, you know, I do have this tendency of putting str- strange music on at the beginning of these pods. Can I talk about what my hobby horse is, Michael? My, ho- my hobby horse is the amount of very good opportunities we still give up. We have a we have an opportunity to score a goal, and we're just not clinical. Pep kind of mentioned it in the past. We score a lot of goals, but once again in this game, in the first half we had two really good chances. Gabby Jesus had one about six yards out on the swivel. He put wide. David Silva had an easier one because he was facing the, in the right direction, which he put wide. In the second half, Gabby Jesus had a, a one-on-one, which he dilly uh, dallied over. And by the time he shot, it hit the keeper and uh, Tyrone Mings got back to knock it over uh, with his knee over the bar. And we, we have a lot of opportunities. You know, it's, a, it's another game that in, on another day we could have scored six or seven. But that first, you know, that first half was, I think, additionally frustrating because we didn't put either, either of those two very presentable chances away. And that frustrates the fans and we were quite, generally quite subdued, um, you know, in, in the stands. Uh, and the team was, pl- it felt like the team was playing as well. Colin, we've got to find different ways to score. And that's why I love Riyad Mahrez. But Colin, do you have any sympathy attacking a mass defence and you're trying to get in behind? You can't quite do it. The triangles aren't working. And no, I'm not for the return of Niall Quinn or Edin Dzeko, but surely City have got to find a few different ways. Yesterday, it was quite frustrating. There were two chances that went begging in the first half, Gabby Silver and Gabby J. But it seemed to be national take a second touch day because the number of times we the ball was in a good position and, and players just took a touch too many. And you're right because I'm sure I've said this before, but when teams are compact against us, what you've got to do is mix things up a little bit and have a shot from you know, 25 yards because if they're not if they're expecting to play these little triangles and they're closing down the space. You shoot from 25 yards. Then next time you you've got the ball in that position, they're thinking 
well, they're hopefully thinking, oh, what's he going to do? You know, is he going to shoot? Do I need to close him down? Do I need to stay where I am? And if they come out to close the player down, it, it creates a little bit of space. Uh, and, and you've got to use that. If they don't come out to, to close the player down, and the number of times we got the ball on the edge of the area or, you know, 20 yards out, and we were looking for that needle point pass that isn't there. And um, it, it's one of my bugbears that you, you've got to mix things up. And it, it's very difficult to tell sometimes, hey, I'm down in 109, I'm down by the, the goal line at the south stand end of, of the stadium. Sometimes you can't really tell what's going on at the north stand end, but I can tell what's going on at the south stand end. And sometimes you've, you've just got to have a shot. We need a little bit of patience. We need a, we need a little bit of time. Um, and that's a beautiful south line somewhere, a bit of time. But no, no, I think if you go back and watch uh, Match of the Day, you'll see many occasions we actually got to the byline. We did Our triangles worked. For me, the, triangle, the ones I described earlier between Mendy, Sterling and David Silver, an occasion with Gundogan, uh, Gundogan, sorry, getting involved. I think in that first half, we probably got to the byline three, four, five, six times. Uh, but no, but my feeling is, that, look, at one point I thought, oh, no, not again. It was that slow build-up play. But City, we can switch from what looks like innocuous, just tippy-tappy passes uh, between Fernandinho and Stones, for instance, to suddenly an incisive ball into the box like Gundogan did. An incisive ball into the box for Raheem Sterling to chase onto. And, and that can happen in the, in the twinkle of an eye. We got to the byline plenty, okay, in my opinion. We had times where we got to the byline, and uh, I remember once with Raheem Sterling and once, I think, with David Silva, possibly, where they just took that extra touch, and that allowed the defender to come in and block um, the pass. But also in that first half, we had two cutbacks that we should have scored from. And I'll repeat, if we'd scored from either of those, it'd have been a much more comfortable first half and a much more comfortable afternoon. And... You know, we, we could have run up a, a much bigger score. So I actually think we were creating. I think, as Pep said, after the, the Wolves game, the worry with the Wolves game was we weren't really creating. Against Norwich, even though we lost, we were still creating opportunities, chances, goal-scoring opportunities. And actually, we could have still won that game uh, towards, uh, towards the end of the game. We had enough opportunities, enough chances to even sneak a win there. So even against Spurs, when we, we drew two all we still created a hatful of chances, an absolute shed load. If we weren't creating chances with the way we were playing, then I'm very frustrated and impatient and disturbed. But because we created plenty of chances. If we'd scored six, it wouldn't have flattered us. Okay, let me go to Colin. Colin Savage, there was a, a, a particular Twitter account that complained about the proliferation of garden gnomes. In the in the penalty area against this team. Now tell me, they they often up these lines about controversial opinion. I think this or I think that. Were you not secretly guilty secret time thinking, my goodness, if we could just do something that different just for once? Were you thinking that? Yeah, well, I was, I was thinking that a few times. In fact, we have the discussion where I sit, which we often do, saying, why you know why don't they just shoot? Because, and particularly, all right, we, you know, we, we came out at the beginning of the second half, we scored a goal. And, and that one goal, that one goal is always dangerous because you're always right on a break. But then we went 2 0 up fairly quickly and then 3 0 up. And we're still trying to pass it through the eye of a needle to get goals when, you know, there's no risk, absolutely no risk. It's not desperation when you're 3 0 up. Just try, obviously, 3 0, Villa weren't going to score. It did, well, it didn't look like Villa were going to score three or put us in any danger but then's your chance you've got no there's no pressure on us well you know there's no desperation we're not looking to like we were against Leicester last season where Vinny came up with that wonder strike when it looked like all was lost so you know even when we're three in a look we're still not trying something a little bit different I mean perhaps the way we scored the goals we were our own worst enemy because getting three in relatively quickly Take kick takes the heart out of the game, doesn't it? You know, if we get one and then we we don't get a second quickly, it gives Villa a little bit of hope. So, and they would presumably come out uh, and try and have a go, but because we got three, they weren't bothered about coming out and having a go particularly. Though they had that chance uh, right at the death. But um, yes, you do miss these long range pile drivers, and it's it's always nice to see them. But you know, you guys, you've been feasting uh, at the at the top table these last few years, and I think I think we should be. 
I want to say grateful for what we were getting. We're not peasants, but I think we should uh, be a little bit more realistic. We've enjoyed the football we've had for, for, for so many years. Sometimes, if we're not scoring or not getting that final ball right, it does get frustrating. You've got to have that, that little bit of extra patience because as some City fans, I mean, they're quite honest and say it can become a little bit monotonous, uh, passing it around and passing it back and looking for the angle. And we think, we know we've moved forward and we think someone can uh, take somebody on and run in the box and then suddenly they pass it around, pass it around the back and pass it to the other side of the pitch. And that be- can become frustrating because we've probably grown up at a time where football was a little bit more direct uh, than it is is now with City. So, but I think look, we're playing at, at, at such a good level. We could, I still maintain, we could have scored six or seven goals on uh, Saturday, and nobody, nobody would have begrudged us that we had enough chances. So, um, but I, I want to mention the, the norms in in, um, in in the box. Um, my eldest lad, he's twelve years old, um, and he was on the pitch having his pictures uh, taken with the with the team in a team photo just before kickoff uh, on on Saturday. He was wearing my Leroy Sané shirt. Yes, because you have to wear a full kit. And uh, I decided this year I'm not buying you a shirt, Sunshine. These these shirts are like 50-odd quid each. He, he showed me a full kit. And for a child, it was £87. Okay, I would have got a discount for my uh, having a season card, which would have taken down to 80 quid. And I just thought, I love you, son, but just not that much, uh, as much as 80 quid. So I gave him my Leroy Sané shirt, bought him some matching shorts and socks, and he was actually very happy with that. But he said to me, he said, when the players came over, he said, he said to me, they're so short. You know, he, my, my lad's almost as tall as me. And I'm not very tall at all. He said, they're so short. Like, you know, Raheem Sterling and David Silver. And I think we do have a lot of norms on that pitch with, uh, when Sergio's there, Raheem, Bernardo Silva, Ilke Gondon, I don't think he's too tall. So we, we do have a few, I wouldn't call them midgets. Uh, uh, but I will, I will save my controversial uh, point to later. I've got a controversial point that I'll, I'll put out. I was waiting for you to mention it. I'll wait for that if you mention it. Well, Colin, we have been worked out. What do you think that? That's very controversial. I I think there is some element of truth to that. I, I wouldn't say I wouldn't necessarily worked out, but teams have evolved a way of playing against us, and uh, we saw Wolves do that. Norwich um, did it. We saw Villa to a certain degree do that. Yeah. Uh, and they, you know, they know if they remain compact, if they keep that, because where we're so dangerous is the space between the midfield, midfield line and the defensive line. If we get in there, if we drag players out of position, that's where we're dangerous. And they know to stay compact, to stay disciplined. And sometimes we'll find a way through, as we did uh, on Saturday, of course. And the funny thing was, you know, Dean Smith's hard time talk would have been something along the lines of great first half, guys, just go out and do exactly the same thing again. And of course, 30 seconds later, the game plan has to change and he hasn't got the chance to get them in and change it. So so that worked perfectly for us, I guess. But yeah, not all teams can play like that, of course. Not all teams will play like that. And what uh, I think what impressed me about Villa was it wasn't just that they stuck 10 men behind the ball. They, they did try to get out and they did try to do stuff. But they got back very, very quickly. And uh, and I say, we were see, we seem to be t- determined to slow things down, to take an unnecessary touch, to to have a think for five seconds instead of uh, one second. I, it was There was one incident where, I'm not sure if it was Saturday or Tuesday, but it kind of summed up what I'm saying is we started a move from from, from Edison, I think, where the, the, either Atalanta or, or Villa were attacking. Uh, we won the ball and we'd normally break up field quickly. The ball ended up back at... You, the ball moved forward and it ended up back at Edison's feet because we just didn't move it forward quickly enough. And and that was the pattern of the game pretty well on Saturday, I think. You know, we, we didn't move it quickly enough. We took too... When we had a chance to play the ball quickly, we didn't take it. Just taking a touch or two. The Gabriel Jesus one that, that Mings uh, got to. Again, he hits that first time. That's a goal. But he took... It just took a second to, to steady himself and it just gave Mings that second he needed to get back into position. So he hits that first time, it's a goal. There was another one where Sterling took a touch and you think, just hit, take it for, take it for, I think he, he had the a, a, a opportunity to cross it into the bot, into the, towards the six yard box. And again, he took a touch and hesitated and it was, 
That seemed to be the pattern all the way through. And now, you know what the intellectual argument against would be? This is the opinion that you would read if you were to subscribe to The Athletic. They would tell you that, yes, it does look like that, like that. it looks like City are doing things again and again, but the thing is that teams can't hold out for 90 minutes against it. They will eventually be worn down, they'll be dragged out of position once too many, and we'll get, we'll get in. But, I mean, recently, teams have been doing pretty well for long periods holding out as this. Would you not agree? Yes, uh, I don't think we've been at our best. And I, I think, I won't go over it again, but I think Saturday summed up why we've not been at our best. We've been a, bit, a little bit hesitant. We're not playing with the same free-flowing you know, instinctive way we've been playing pre, we're playing last season. And I think, yeah, the Premier League doesn't stand still. Managers, players work out, work teams out, and they work work out a way of playing against us. And as I say, the way to play against us is to stay very, very compact, not get drawn out of position, not you know, not allow Kevin De Bruyne to drag you 20 yards down the field when you should be closest to your own penalty area. And it, it um, but I, th- I still think we were more effective on the left-hand side than we were on the right. We've not got that right. David Silva, Raheem Sterling. And Mendes, he still looks very rusty to me. But I thought he had a, a decentish performance. Uh, actually got one across his on target, more or less. But yeah, that, that, that little triangle down the left-hand side is generally quick and incisive. Down the right, whether it's Mares, it's Bernardo, it's Walker, it's Cancelo... Um, Kevin De Bruyne, they don't work as a unit in the way that Silverstone, Mendy, and also Sinchenko is another one who fits into that pattern quite nicely on the left-hand side. But obviously we've lost him for a few weeks now. So, yeah, um, again, it's we can do it, but I just don't think we're quite as incisive, we're quite as quick, we're quite as instinctive as we have been, or we can be. If I was Pepper in that dressing room, I'd be just be yelling one word over and over yeah, and over yeah, yeah. again. Variety, guys, variety. Cancelo is looking pretty good. I don't know whether Kyle Walker is going to be able to displace him um, as soon as he might think, because he's actually a good defender, Red. I'm not sure. I'm not sure yet. I don't think he's been tested properly. If you look at the, the last two games, um, oh, league oh, games he's, he's, he's been good though, Red. He's been good. He's been good. But it, I, I'm not trying to rain on your parade. But I don't. I think he's been all right. But I don't think he's been tested uh, uh, properly yet. Palace didn't do anything against City. They, they hardly laid a glove against uh, on us uh, until the end of that game. And Villa, for all their effort, once again was late on. They had a, a clear cut chance, but I don't think he's been tested. He's he's looked all right going forwards. Nothing extra special yet. Decent performances, but I want to see. You know, we might find out if he if he plays uh, against Liverpool. We certainly will find out if he's any good or not. There those uh, a couple of games in, in November when we play away at Liverpool, and then after the international break at home to Chelsea. I think we're going to find out if Cancelo plays if he's any good or okay, not. Okay, Ray, don't keep us in suspense. What's this big thing that you're going to tell us? What's this? What's this thing? big thing? There's quite a few City fans said. Obviously, Fernandinho got sent off for two. The second one was quite a soft yellow card. He was, he was trying to put, actually, he, he tugged on the guy's arm and then he tried to let go and then pull out of the foul. And I think he ended up catching his legs. And because of the tug and the catching of the legs, the, the referee was very eager to, to give the yellow card. But a lot of City fans wanted Jack Grealish sent off for two bookable offences as well. No, no, Ray. I wanted him sent off because his shorts were too short. <laughs> and he'd obviously a lot of time under the sunbed, and he was determined to show all of the girls what his muscular thighs looked like. That's what it looked like to, well, to wanted, everybody here. They wanted him sent off. No, they wanted him to be sent off. Um, the, a point I'm going to make is uh, I was actually quite surprised as to how fast Jack Grealish was, because there's a there's a point I think he was in the in, in the first half when Raheem Sterling was breaking away. I think he broken away from um, inside our own half. And two Villa players were chasing him down. And we all assumed, well, Raheem's ahead of everybody. No one's going to catch him. But Jack Grealish uh, manfully stood, uh, stood up to his task. And what you actually had was, I believe, Raheem Sterling leaning into Jack Grealish and going down to get the free kick because he knew he couldn't get uh, outpaced both of them. Maybe he was just t- uh, tired because he's just run 60 yards. Beautiful. Uh, beautiful, a full, uh, full pelt, and he went down. I quite easily. I mean, people might say that's controversial, 
So anyway, he went he went down, and later on he could have got a second yellow. Actually, I think he should have got a second yellow, but I I, I think it would have been harsh, uh, given that Raheem Sterling crumpled, uh, looking for a free kick uh, and looking for the uh, for the yellow card for Grealish. I'm one of the fans that thought he should have had a second yellow because I didn't think that offence he didn't get the second yellow for was no worse than the one Fernandinho did get the second. Oh, I agree. And there was another incident with David Silva where apparently he um, launched a little kick at him after they tangled. Yeah. Yeah. Again, saw something in real time. But uh... But look, look, I I think he'd suffered enough because every time he came down to the city end, uh, there was a chant uh, that (laughs) rose amongst the city fans. You're a, you're a not very good Joey Martin, but it wasn't not very good. I think they were talking about the ship on City's badge, weren't they? You're a ship, jo- Joey Barton. You're and a ship, Joey Barton, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're a ship, Joey Barton. That was quite, that was quite amusing. Um, the banter, I was a bit disappointed with the Villa banter because it, it's, it's a little bit tedious to be asked where were you when you were shit. Um, you know, it's a regular thing for away fans. And Villa, just because of their history, they, they could throw another line, another boring old line at us, which was, um, what was it? Champions of Europe. You'll never sing that. That was, that was it. And, uh, it's, it's quite funny because, I mean, they won it in 1981. And we were right, before the game, we were outside the ground with my, my young lad walking through the puddles in the rain where we were avoiding the puddles. And these four young Villa fans came past us and they were there, you know, maybe they had a, a few, a few, um, few sherbets, too many. But they were singing and golden a few of the city fans as they were not noisily went uh, went past us and they were singing this and they were so busy trying to gold city fans that they didn't notice this huge puddle and they went straight in this puddle all four of them so that was quite quite amusing but the funny thing was these kids weren't even born when Villa won the the uh, European Cup as it was then and quite possibly some of their fathers weren't even born when they won the European Cup. Gary James was, were, were, were here. He would tell you that we won a European trophy before they did. It was the European Cup, but it was the no. Cup Winners' Cup. Yeah, but I mean, they're obviously they're focusing on the major, the major prize. If people want to talk about City's uh, tedious or boring or monotonous football, please someone tell the opposition fans to come up with some new lines because it is getting quite boring. Then you see pictures. Uh, or videos of City fans leaving at 3-0 after 80-odd minutes and other fan, opposition fans criticising City fans. Oh, they were bored. There was no game going. The game was over. But I'll, I'll ask you guys what what you think about people leaving early. Is it Are they entitled after paying their money to leave us, uh, whenever they like? Or should they stay uh, until the end of the game? I think you're a hostage to fortune because, I mean, there have been so many go-ord in the last few minutes that you'd be a fool to do. But I, I can understand that if you're worried about getting home and you're going to be caught in an awful rush. But if you win in 3-0 with less than 10 minutes to go, it's not a close game. You, you're comfortably ahead, 3-0 ahead, 10 minutes to go. You you remember that cup uh, final that you and me and Colin were at and how long long it took us to get out of that place? It was ages. Actually, Ray, you were off to your um, video interview. Colin and I were stand, standing in this yeah. um, in this queue for what seemed like an age. So you, you can kind of understand it. Yeah. I mean, it's not just the... Well, I sit literally just by an aisle by, uh, and by the entrance. Um, and um, from, from kind of just before 35 minutes, there are people going off to the concourse. And, of course, loads missed Sterling's goal in the second half. I think, Ray, was it you said you were um, a European? Was it you? You were at a European away game? No, it wasn't No, it wasn't me. you. It wasn't you. Or, or you, were at a, you were at a game somewhere, an away game, a cup game, that people... Yeah, you had to go to the toilet. Yeah, twenty I, minutes in, and there were people drinking on the concourse. It wasn't just one or two. It was a lot. Yeah, it was. It was hundreds, hundreds. Yeah. I, I, the signature experience was. Um, I saw the interview uh, recently with uh, Noel Gallagher in the game against Gillingham in uh, the end of the nineties, and when when City were two 0 down, he decided he'd had enough. Of course. He missed it all come in at the end. So, I mean, it's it's a, a pretty big risk to take, isn't it? It is. And I'll talk about that Palace game because um, you'll get people agreeing and, dis- and, and obviously it's a contentious point because some of these fans actually didn't go up to watch the game. Now, I've got to be honest, the view in, in the uh, away end at Palace is pretty pathetic. It's uh, quite, it's rather limited. You, you know, at best you see about half the pitch and, uh, when when the game's getting exciting, if you're a short ass like me, you, you see even less than that because all the fans are stood up 
uh, pretty much throughout throughout the game, and even more so when 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 there's an exciting moment. But some of these fans, they didn't come out. I mean, to have hundreds of fans uh, having a drink, and, and and so some people say, you know, on one hand, you can say, well, they pay for their ticket, they can do what they like. On the other hand, others are saying, well, it's just an excuse uh, to get even more well oiled, and you know, maybe they should come out and and actually support the team. They've got the ticket, a prize, sometimes a very prized ticket to a game, and uh, they're, they're having a drink. I mean, when I when I came on um, for, for the game on, on the weekend, because the the children are having their pictures taken just before the game starts, uh, they warn the parents that you might miss the first uh, up to 10 minutes of the game because they collect your, your children. By the time you collected your children, the game started. Then you've got to leave the stadium, go back to your own entrance, uh, where your ticket, where your own seat is, and, and uh, enter the stadium there. So you can miss out on uh, eight or ten minutes. And so we missed the first uh, six or seven minutes. We got in, and there's loads of people on the concourse, and, you, and the, no one's, you know, we, I'm busting my gut to get out and to get up and watch the game. And people are just, you know, sauntering around, going to get another drink, getting something to eat. And it's like, guys, the game's just been play, going for five or six minutes. You should be. In, that's my feeling. As I said, each to his own. But my feeling is, you should be busting a gut to go and watch the champions play because you know this this level of football that we're seeing at the moment. Um, you're not going to see it again for, for I think for a very very long time. Um, I mean, and there, and there are certain games like the Watford game. If, if you miss the first ten minutes, you miss the first three goals. Uh, but I just don't. You know, personally, I, I, I can't do it. But I just don't understand other fans who take their tickets for granted. Uh, and just don't go and watch the game. I think that brings us to the end. We've got two games against uh, Southampton coming up, and uh, I believe, uh, Colin, after them against Southampton, it's the game against Liverpool, isn't it? Now, how are we going to beat them? Well, we're going to score more goals than them and not give away any daft penalties. Okay. Ray, what what is your opinion? How are this machine going to be uh, derailed, do you think? I've got to uh, agree up to a point with uh, with what uh, with what Colin said. You know, we've got to treat uh, Mr. Sadio Mane uh, with cotton wool every time he gets inside the box because he's as eager as anything to go down. Um, we've seen that quite regularly. Liverpool are still winning a lot of penalties. We thought we, we thought uh, foolishly that VAR would uh, cut out these, but you know they're still masters of this art. You know, they're a, they're a great team, and it's a little bit sad that. They're still throwing themselves around in the box to win penalties, and uh, if the and the bottom line is, if the ref gives it, very rare that VAR uh, will overturn it. So they're going to keep doing it. And teams, as we, we can't afford to panic, and I think that's important. We could see today that Spurs panicked at the back, panicked all over the pitch, and they, they, you know, some shoddy play from from Spurs, and we just can't afford to do that. But I think Liverpool, they rely on that pressure, they rely on that pressing game. Um, the atmosphere, you know, so when when they get going, you can feel the the, uh, the Spurs players uh, and other teams. You can see it getting to them. So we've just got to, you know, be firm, counter that. Hope we've got as many players, uh, first team players, as fit as possible. Do we need to win it? Yeah, I'm 100% sure we need to win it. But I think it's really important. Uh, we can't. The bottom line is we can't afford to lose. I hope you've enjoyed this pod as much as I have, and I know that the other guys have done so as well. But we'll leave it there because honestly, if we don't stop now, we could go on for another two or three hours. But um, let's just uh, take this opportunity, express our gratitude for our two resident experts. First of all, Colin Savage. Colin, thank you so much for being on. It's a pleasure. Now I can go off. I I would have loved to talk. All night, but I need to go off and get something to eat. And uh, Ray, I hope you found that a little bit therapeutic. And, um, and thank you so much for coming on. Well, thank you too, Mike. It's always good fun with you guys. After match, won't call it celebrations, wouldn't be the same without you two guys. <laughs> Quite right. Quite right. <laughs> so gratified to hear that. So gratified to hear that. We'll leave it there. And uh, as usual, you can count on us to be uh, back with you again after the next game. So until then, have one on us and up the blues. Watching the people get laid